you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hi, Owen. I uh, love the show. Uh, this is probably a little outside your normal wheelhouse, but uh, I am a public school teacher uh, in the city, and it's my first year teaching, and I'm non-binary. And um, I'm just curious uh, what kind of risk you think I might have by uh, kind of coming out and opening up about it. Uh, all my past employers have been really good about it, but I'm worried that by opening up and being myself that I can uh, really hurt my job uh, potential. Um, I'm very straight passing male looking, and I feel like if I open up, then I might get that un, uh, that unsubstantiated kind of bias that uh, men in my position are predators, which is ridiculous. But again, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the phone call. So it sounds like you're non-binary and you're also a school teacher, and now you have to figure out whether you want to come out and risk your career or stay in the closet and stay safe for the most part. That is a hard call. And I believe that some people will have a different opinion than me. So you should look in the comments section of this clip and see what other people think about it. Because mine's probably a little bit controversial. You said that you live in the city. Cities are usually more accepting than other areas and rural areas, that's a good sign. With that being said, you might be okay coming out. If you were going to come out at all, I would recommend just telling your students, don't make a big deal of it. Just say, yeah, my pronouns are they or them. You can call me they or them. Uh, that's what I prefer. And then just go on about your day. Don't make a big thing out of it. Don't make any announcements. Just kind of Tell them individually if you want or, or whatever. It's a risk, though, and this is the controversial part. If I were you, I think I might stay in the closet. I don't know what I would do in that situation because I've never been in that situation where I a, a fundamental part of who I am is under attack by the people around me. Um, I mean, I've been in that situation, but my fundamental being is easily hideable. Most people don't really understand what the word apostate is. Some people understand what the word atheist is and don't like me for that reason, but I don't have to tell them if I don't want. This is a fundamental part of you that you can't really hide easily, and hearing people call you by the incorrect pronouns can be really hurtful and damaging and depressing. So, I can't speak to what the right decision is. And I know that there are people in my comment section, in fact, there are people listening right now, I'm looking in my live chat, who I know are non-binary and may have better advice for you than I do. But my advice would be, stay in the closet if it's possible for you to do. And if you feel that you come to a point where you can't anymore, don't make a big deal out of it. Just announce it quietly. Don't announce it at all. Just tell a couple people here and there. Start there. And then 
tell others little by little and word will slowly spread hopefully just try not to make a big thing out of it that'd be my recommendation good luck i hope things go okay for you and uh, let me know you can call back in and tell me how things turn out unholy shade sent a super chat just a little note not all non-binary people use they them pronouns that's true um i just needed something to reference so i guess instead of saying they them i guess you just other pronouns. Let them use the pronouns that you prefer. Hello, this is Rat from Ohio. Uh, I may be seeing this from the wrong side, but how do I show Christians that um, that they have not always been persecuted? Rather, um, they have been the persecutors. Um, throughout history, uh, they show like the very small times where they have been persecuted and then almost make it seem as if all throughout history, they have been you know, persecuted like that. When you know there are times where um, they um, they would kill any any person who was not a part of the Christian faith or uh, Catholic faith, um, such as the one I follow today. Um, and they also say that they have it really really bad um, when they are in like the United States or or someplace where they do not have it bad. Um, ra- um, and my claim is that non-Abrahamics usually will have it worse because they get ganged up on by Abrahamics. Um, yeah, uh, I may be seeing this through the wrong lens, so apologies. Love your channel. See ya. To summarize, the question was, how do we show you know, evangelicals or Christian wingnuts that they are the persecutors, not the persecuted, right? I was watching footage from the September 18th rally the other day, which just happened recently. I prepped for the podcast before the September 18th rally took place, so I couldn't fit it in as its own segment, sadly, but possibly next week. We'll see. Anyways, the September 18th rally had a bunch of interviews, so all of these reporters were there interviewing the people that were there trying to protest the arrests of the January 6th rioters. And some of the strange shit they said was just hard to wrap your head around. Like, let me give you an example. The, the cognitive dissonance, the special pleading was on full display. There's a guy who said something like um, he was talking about how Joe Biden is corrupt because he hired his son to work or for him or whatever, right? I would, I would think so, yes. That's like, yes, having billions and billions of dollars and funneled into your family in, in, in exchange for political favors. And the reporter said, well, what about Donald Trump? Donald Trump hired his kids to work for him too, right? And the guy was like, well, yeah, but he needs people around that he can trust. He can't trust anybody else. What would you say about Trump giving Jared Kushner political positions and his children political opportunities and books and all of that? Most of them were working for free, actually. Yeah, because, again, you got you to gotta have people you trust. And the reporter was like, well, can't Joe Biden use that same excuse? Like he wanted to hire his son to work for him because... He trusted him, though Biden never hired his son to work in his administration, as far as I know. So it's not even a fair comparison, but just go along with it for a second. So the guy said, couldn't Joe Biden use that same reason? He needed people around him he could trust. The guy said, yeah, trust him to hold the... Uh, what was it? Trust him to be a good bag man to take the money for him. Biden, so Joe Biden can't trust Hunter? Well, he does. Well, he trusts him to get money. 
He tries to be a good bag man. <laughs> and he was like, what about Donald Trump's kids? I mean, they were working in the administration the same as what you're describing here. So how is it different? Donald Trump doesn't trust his kids to get money? Well, no, well he wasn't using them for that. He was using them to, like, Kushner was brokering world peace, for God's sake. <laughs> the guy had an excuse for Donald Trump and his shenaniganery, but wasn't using the same logic for Joe Biden. Like, the cognitive dissonance in there. It... it is nearly impossible to break. My goal is to get people to realize that Christianity is the, the majority religion in the U.S. and are the persecutors. If you want, we can go as far back as the Crusades. They have been persecuting people since the religion has existed practically. Now, don't get me wrong, there are Christian groups out there who are genuinely persecuted, but um, in the U.S., Christianity broadly and evangelicalism more specifically is the group that's doing the persecuting, and getting that through to them is like pulling teeth. We just have to keep hammering away at it. Just keep hammering away. Hey, Owen, it's Dave from PA. Um... First of all, I love your channel. Um, second of all, I, I have a question. Taking it back, I know your channel has been political recently. I mean, and it has to be. But taking it back to your uprising to the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, I have a grandmother who's a Jehovah's Witness, and I've always enjoyed um, just a great relationship with her. Um, but more recently, um, I came out as bisexual, and I just haven't confronted her at all because I know she knows that I came out. But I know how her religion will push her to give me a morality spew. <laughs> That's probably going to, you know, hurt my feelings and make me feel really bad. Um, I don't want to lose my relationship with my grandma. I'm not a witness myself, so I know that I, she can't shun me. But I know I'm going to hear it, and I really don't want to. What would you recommend an approach to her would be? Um, she lives far away. She lives in a different country. But, I mean, we used to talk a little more regularly, and I would love to visit her. But, I mean, I've been out for, well, for a year and a half now, and I haven't even attempted to reach out to her because I just don't want to hear it. But I miss the relationship we had. What's your opinion on this? Thank you. Bye. I appreciate the uh, voicemail. My opinion, once again, I, I just did a clip where there was a non-binary teacher who was worried about whether or not they should come out as non-binary uh, to their like their peers, their their fellow teachers or classmates or uh, students or whatever else. And my controversial take in that situation was that if they don't feel safe coming out, then they should just stay in the closet about it. Um, there are other listeners in my comment section who are non-binary and have had to deal with this kind of thing and would probably know better than me what advice they should be giving or what advice I should be giving to people in that type of situation. But in your situation, again, I would recommend not coming out if it's possible. I know that you want to tell them and be accepted by them, but I mean, this person's a Jehovah's Witness. She isn't going to accept you for who, you, who, for who you are, most likely. If she's a good Jehovah's Witness, things will probably end poorly. Like you said, you were afraid that she was going to let you have it. Um, now, one more thing you said here, 
Um, I don't want to lose my relationship with my grandma. I'm not a witness myself, so I know that I, she can't shun me. Uh, that part right there, that's actually inaccurate. Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of primed to be in this shunning mindset. In fact, there are circumstances in which shunning isn't mandatory in the religion. Like somebody gets reproved, for example. Like they get in trouble, but they're not disfellowshipped. And they'll still get shunned by people, regardless of whether or not they broke the rules, regardless of whether or not they get disfellowshipped or anything else, they'll still get pre-shunned by people if they have a bad impression of them, if they wonder if they're doing the, the right thing or the wrong thing. Because shunning is part of the rules, of course, but not only that, it's built into the culture. You may not be an apostate, you may not be disfellowshipped, you may not have ever been a witness or involved in any way at all, but shunning is part of the culture, and that means you aren't necessarily safe from it. You have to be aware that that is a possibility when you talk to your grandmother about this. So good luck with it. I hope things turn out okay. Um, and call back in and let me know. Thanks for the uh, voicemail. I appreciate that. Hey, Owen. I'm calling because my brother and sister-in-law just died from COVID. They were both unfortunately unvaccinated. There was nothing I could do in the aspect of trying to convince my brother to get a vaccine. His wife was brainwashed and pretty much convinced him otherwise. <clears throat> right before he died, though, his last words to his niece were to get vaccinated, which she has. But the point of my story I'm trying to make is both sides of my family are Jehovah's Witnesses, and they held a memorial for him within their congregation. Um, the problem with that, and like the problem I see with that, my brother was an apostate. He, along with me and my little brother, we're all apostates. We loathed the religion and saw it for what it was, a doomsday cult. I, as, long as, my, as well as my little brother, are still trying to break free of the ideals that were forced to, into us as we, you know, were little kids. Um, my brother, older, my older brother that just passed, he actually resented my grandfather for joining the religion, stating he was always a man of logic and science. When my grandparents, when I asked my grandparents why they weren't so sad about his passing, they said because we know we'll get to see him again. How? Uh, he was an apostate. Like, have you ever seen anything like this in your experience? And would you be in a, as offended as I am? That's very interesting. So to summarize, it sounds like your brother, I think, was an apostate, an ex-Jehovah's Witness, very opposed to the religion. But even though he was an apostate they still held a memorial service for him, and your other family members who are also Jehovah's Witnesses seem to believe that they'll see him again. That's really interesting. It's extremely unusual, and I would venture to guess they didn't actually know how, to what extent he was an apostate or didn't want to accept it. Because, as we know, Jehovah's Witnesses view apostates as mentally diseased. They believe it's a mental illness that Satan has infected people with. If they knew to what extent he was an apostate, I cannot imagine that they would be okay with holding a memorial service for him in the Kingdom Hall. Usually Jehovah's Witnesses don't want to accept the idea that they're not that their family members were apostates and they're never going to see them again they would rather believe that they will and that they had a good heart there is a clause 
in the religion, or there was up until recently, basically saying there'll be a resurrection of the, the righteous and the unrighteous. Almost everybody will have a second chance. But the governing body actually went back on that not long ago and said you have to be an active, baptized, door-knocking Jehovah's Witness to get into the new system or to get through Armageddon. If you aren't active and knocking on doors, you're going to die in Armageddon. That's just what it is. That's a fairly new rule in the past couple of years that they passed. Hey, this is Wes from California. I was just watching one of your Cat Kerr videos, and I'd really like to know, how do people not consider that to be witchcraft? Uh, the performing of miracles towards hurricanes and things like that with her witchy wand and all that stuff. Just curious. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. That is confusing, right? Like, some of the shit that Cat Kerr does is so obviously, like, right down the road from from witchcraft. Like, if some if people were doing that shit back in, like, the 17, 1800s or whatever, they would have been labeled a witch. Taking their stick and swinging it around and saying, you know, in the name of God, I hit Hurricane Dorian to the east, blah, blah, blah. There's a level of cognitive dissonance in these people that, that's nearly impossible to crack. It is nearly impossible to break through to them and make them realize the whole thing is rife with hypocrisy. And it's a challenge to break through these people and make them realize that. Like I said last time, we just have to keep hammering away at it. Hi, Owen. This is Freddie from um, Georgia. So I was just wondering if you could tell me or explain why so many different um, cults popped up from the Seventh-day Adventists, like Worldwide Church of God and um, um, the Seventh... Whatever the people from Waco. Branch Davidians. Um, just let me know. To summarize, I think the question was, why do cults arise from Seventh-day Adventists and other groups so much, but not from others, right? If you could tell me or explain why so many different um, cults popped up from the Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, it sounds like it, you were talking about the Seventh-day Adventists specifically. The Adventist movement is really, really interesting, and I've talked about it on my main channel in great detail, actually. Um, it wasn't just the Seventh-day Adventists. It started out as Adventism, I believe, and then it broke off into like a billion different pieces. There were like five different groups that came from it. I'm not sure why that one splintered when others didn't, but I'll tell you this. As far as Jehovah's Witnesses go, you basically don't see offshoots coming from Jehovah's Witnesses. It's such a unified organization and belief structure that you really don't see any breaks from it. You don't see people going off on their own and creating their own religions. I suspect the reason that Jehovah's Witnesses don't break apart into a bunch of different sects, but Adventists did, has something to do with the stranglehold on the belief system and the punishments for leaving. Although I know in the early days of Adventism, they actually disfellowshipped like half the congregation at one point and shunned them and everything. So I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine why this one was more susceptible to sects splitting off and other groups were not. It's a really fascinating thing to look at, though. 
Next, we're gonna talk about Mike Lindell telling Jim Baker he released his supposed election fraud documentary when he did because he thought the government was gonna kill him. Give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The next story I wanted to talk about is about Jim Baker and Mike Lindell, of all people. Jim Baker, as it turns out, is having a little bit of money trouble. And he invited Mike Lindell on his show to talk to him, to try to do like a fundraiser type of thing. He's calling it a telethon. It's not. It's not a telethon, apparently. It's just having Mike Lindell on as a guest for a few days straight. And it had some really interesting shit in this, so let's give this a watch and see what old Jim Baker had to say for himself. This came out mid-September 2021. Check it out. Well, he's gonna be, Mike's going to be with us for several days. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have... We're, we're actually doing a telethon. And we want to thank you for coming. And, and it's to help us st- save our stations because no. of the cancel culture. You're always... Is it? Is it because of the cancel culture? Is that what it is? Is that why you are suffering financially? I'm skeptical. You know why I'm skeptical? Because I saw an article, I don't know, a year ago maybe, that I actually covered on the channel at the time, titled, Televangelist Jim Baker Owes Customers $156,000 for Selling a Fake COVID Cure. Oh, that's right. Jim Baker kind of dug himself a hole with that one, didn't he? This isn't the only amount that Jim Baker had to pay, either. He He got a lot of shit for this. Basically, the dude was selling colloidal silver as a cure for the virus. Like, full-blown cure for the virus. Said that you can't catch it if you're taking colloidal silver. And as it turns out, actually, colloidal silver is a homeopathic bullshit medicine that doesn't do anything for you except turn your skin blue. Seriously. Here's a good example of it. This guy literally turned blue because he took the stuff that Jim Baker was selling to people. I mean, I don't think he got it from Jim Baker. This is what happens when you take colloidal silver. You turn blue. No joke. Colloidal silver is not a safe thing to take. Don't do it. Seriously, it doesn't do shit for you, except turn your ass blue. So anyways, Jim Baker gotten a lot of shit from the FDA for making those claims. Let's read this article by Hemet Mehta. This was actually written on June 23rd, 2021, not that long ago, but this did happen like a year ago, maybe, when he originally really started getting in deep shit for making all these claims. Let's read it and see what it says. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt has just won $156,000 judgment against Jim Baker after the televangelist spread a harmful lie on his show several times about the supposed effectiveness 
of silver solution as a treatment for 2019 novel coronavirus. Some backstory. Back in February of 2020, before we really understood how harmful and transmissible COVID was, Baker began selling silver solution as a cure for the coronavirus, saying the solution would kill off the virus in under 12 hours. It wasn't his only claim. Baker said the product could get rid of all venereal diseases and prevent SARS and HIV. He also said the silver is almost like a miracle and that God created it in heaven. But the claim of a COVID cure was especially egregious. Around that time, Baker received letters demanding he stop his particular grift from New York Attorney General Letitia James. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the Federal Trade Commission did the same thing, giving Baker 48 hours to stop hawking that item before they came after him. He quickly stopped promoting it after nearly a dozen separate segments on his show, but the harm was done. That's when Schmidt stepped in. He sued Baker's ministry, which is based in Missouri, in March of 2020 for spreading this lie. The lawsuit alleges that in February 2020, Jim Baker's show production that aired nationwide, Baker and guest Cheryl Selman, a naturopathic doctor, claimed that Silver Solution can cure coronavirus. Anyone who has bought Silver Solution from the Jim Baker show should know that it cannot cure or treat coronavirus. The lawsuit filed this morning requests a restraining order and permanent injunction ordering Baker to stop selling Silver Solution as a treatment for coronavirus. This is back to Hemant Mehta. Baker argued that he hadn't personally promoted the product that his guest Selman did. But this was his show and his ministry. That meant he was responsible. Baker's lawyer, former Missouri governor and attorney general Jay Nixon... Wow, that's actually a pretty big deal. This guy was a big deal. Then tried a different tactic. He argued that Schmidt was going after Baker's religious freedoms. Of course he did. Jim Baker is being unfairly targeted by those who want to crush his ministry and force his Christian television program off the air. Baker did not claim or state that Silver Solution was a cure for COVID-19. This case is about religious freedom. Yeah, I bet. Is that why... Baker's wife, Lori, said that it was cancel culture. The cancel culture is what's getting his doors closed. Obviously, the dude is suffering terribly from the lawsuits and all this other shit, stemming from his bad fucking decisions to try to sell this COVID cure that doesn't do shit for you in the first place, except, again, turn your skin blue. Anyways, let's keep listening to this clip from Jim Baker's show and see what else they said. Okay, be, I'm sorry, one more thing before we continue. Check this shit out, check this out. I wanted to show you guys something interesting real quick, hang on. You know Jim Baker was married to a woman named Tammy Faye Baker back in the day? Uh, I think in 1988 or somewhere in there, in the 80s, Jim Baker got in a lot of trouble for wire fraud and all kinds of other shit. And he was sentenced to like a bunch of years in prison. And I think he served a total of eight years before he had it overturned, claiming that the judge was biased against him and all this other shit. He got out after like eight years. But by the time he got out in like the 90s, his wife, Tammy Faye Baker, also a televangelist, had already divorced him. It wasn't just wire fraud. It was some other adultery, impropriety stuff and harassment and things, you know. I, I don't need to get into it. I made a whole video about it on my main channel if you're interested. But I wanted to show you guys a picture of Tammy Faye Baker, okay? I'm going to try to be honest about this because Tammy Faye Baker actually had cancer later in life and got very, very sick and stayed on the air. 
and you could tell she was having a hard time. Not going to show you any of those pictures specifically. I wanted to show you pictures of her when she was younger. She has since died, I think. But this is a picture of her on the right here. This is a picture of Tammy Faye Baker when she was younger. I think she may have still been married to Jim Baker at the time. Look at this. He obviously has a type, right? I mean, look at the pictures here of Tammy Faye Baker. Here's another good one. And here's his current wife, Lori Baker. Help us save our stations because no. of... The he has a type, right? You can totally tell he has a type. Super interesting. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Okay, let's listen to uh, what Lindell has to say here. Well, they can't, you're canceling out station. This is what they want to do, cancel yeah. out the voices. Uh, that's yeah. Our First Amendment right of free speech is going. They take that first. Okay, well, you don't have a First Amendment right to sell fake cures for a pandemic. That's actually against the law. You just don't have the right to actually put people's lives in danger. Yelling fire in a crowded theater is another good example. You can't do that shit. And just the same, you can't sell fake cures for an illness. It's just what it is, man. I'm sorry you feel that your free speech is being infringed upon and all that other shit, but it's just nonsense. That's what they've been trying to get for the past seven, eight months, actually for over a year. They, when they started attacking you guys over yeah, a year. Yeah, and half that, that's right. They yeah, it was, I think, February 2020 when he started making these claims, and that's when, they, that's when he really got in some hot water. That's why he's saying it's like over a year ago. You know, they started on the biggest voices early, but we're yeah. still here. We're here. No, they started on the voices that were breaking the law and putting people's lives in danger. That's actually what happened. And now listen to these poor fools clap for that. We're here. <laughs> they did everything they could to silence our voice. They yeah. did. And we're going to take back what the enemy has stolen yeah, from us. Notice how they're framing this? This is all part of the persecution complex. They need that persecution. They need it. It's part of the ideology. Creates camaraderie and loyalty and brotherhood. It makes people more enthusiastic. It makes them believe in what they're doing and who they're involved with. In the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton actually had more potential voters than Donald Trump. There are more registered democrats in the country than there are registered republicans the problem is that democrats don't always come out to vote but republicans will crawl over broken glass to vote for their guy usually they have this deep enthusiasm the pastors preach it from the pulpit that this is part of the religion being a religious person includes voting for your guy. There's this enthusiasm factor that Donald Trump had in 2016 that Hillary Clinton simply didn't. And it's the same in 2020. There was an enthusiasm factor for Donald Trump that just isn't there for other Democrats usually. I think Biden probably won based off of negative partisanship where people wanted to ensure that Trump didn't get into office. That's why Trump lost that election. Enthusiasm is so extremely important in politics and religion, in everything. You want people who are willing to crawl over broken glass to vote for you. 
or to donate to you or to work with you in some capacity. You need a base like that if you want to succeed in politics or in religion. And that is what the persecution complex does for people. That's why these extremist groups or these cults or whatever else try to build enthusiasm. They try to radicalize people, get them to be really extreme. The further from the center these people go, the more radical they get, the fewer followers that they're going to have, the harder it'll be to bring people over to their side, naturally. But the more enthusiastic people are going to be, the more enthusiasm they're going to have in their membership base. And that's what the persecution complex does for them. The persecution complex is uniquely useful in the sense that you don't have to go down a crazy conspiracy rabbit hole to get people worked up into a blood frenzy over it. You don't have to claim they're stealing children or there are tunnels under Congress where people are trafficking this thing and that thing. You don't have to make any of those conspiratorial claims to have a persecution complex. You can just say people were mean to me and blow it up out of proportion and claim it's a systemic issue and suddenly, boom, you've got enthusiasm from Jim Baker, from Greg Locke, from Hank Kuhneman and Kenneth Copeland and all of these other pastors. Jehovah's Witnesses are masters at this too, at exploiting this persecution complex. It manufactures the enthusiasm factor that people need to win votes and get donations from their church. That's why we see the persecution complex so often, especially from Jim Baker. Now let's listen to him complain about being persecuted one more time. And we're going to take back what the enemy has stolen yep. from us. A little over a year ago, we were ready to build a new studio. We had the foundation money in the bank. We were ready to build. And the government came in and the left came in and they wanted to silence our voice. Uh, he had to pick out an enemy. He wanted to pick out an enemy that he didn't like, that he knows his enthusiastic followers also don't like, and point the finger at them and say, they're hurting me, they're persecuting me. The left and the government are evil. Big fucking surprise. Our voice, and they did everything. And then, then when they took the credit cards away, it was like, Oh my God! And you know, Mike uh, understands you, that you yeah. use when credit, credit card cards. Everybody is—that's yeah. a medium of exchange. Yeah, yeah. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? Why did they take the credit cards away, um, Jim Baker? Was that because you broke the fucking law and put people's lives in danger? Is that why they did that shit? Whose fault is it, really? Honestly, I mean, in the bottom of your heart, I think you know exactly whose fucking fault this was. Like I said, this was like a whole quote-unquote telethon thing that they were holding, and it was actually pretty entertaining. We have a couple more clips from this telethon thing that they were holding. Give you a little bit of lead-up to this one. I think this is where Mike Lindell is talking about the election and how it was rigged, quote-unquote. I actually did a lot of research on some of the claims he makes in here, so I'm going to debunk them in real time if I can. Check it out. Well, remember, the biggest thing is every state, every single state, was this was a cyber, a cyber attack of historical proportion. Donald Trump won 80 million to around 68 million. Okay. I assume he means 80 million to 86 million. That is completely inaccurate, first of all. Second, he's claiming it was a cyber attack. 
How could it have been a cyber attack when nothing was connected to the internet? You wanted the routers to all this stuff originally? Why? Nothing was plugged into the internet here. It couldn't have been a cyber attack. It was not a cyber attack. On 80 million to around 68 million, okay. But here's the four miracles that I see. The night of the election, the algorithms that were set with the mm -hmm. 2010 census is what they used. Uh, by 11 o'clock at night, when they realized, when the machines realized, and they realized Donald Trump was going to win anyway because of everybody voting for him, they did not expect this. I mean, that was, a lo that was the Lord there. This is all God's timing, by the way. Now, you look at when that happened, they had to stop everything in the middle of the night, and then we've seen all these deviations that didn't make sense. Okay, let me pause here because he's made a couple of claims so far. The first one that he made was that they used the 2010 census. So... His claim is that the voting machines that they used to count the ballots, he says those were used in the 2010 census and they still had the census data in them. What? Does he even know how computers work, honestly? Does he have any idea how any of this works? That is a nonsensical claim from beginning to end. And if you have ever worked with computers in any kind of programming capacity, you recognize that is completely fucking ridiculous. It, it's nonsensical. I was a software engineer for six years. What he's saying is nonsense. It is a counting machine. How would a counting machine retain records of census data without accounting for the fact that not all of the people counted in the census are registered voters? The second claim that he made. This is all God's timing, by the way. Now you look at when that happened, they had to stop everything in the middle of the night. And then we've seen all these deviations that no. There were no quote-unquote deviations like that. There were a total of, I think, four major ballot dumps, as they called them, or as Trump called them. They counted a, a giant batch of ballots, and then they typed the numbers in, then pushed them out to the rest of the system so everybody could see it. Donald Trump and Joe Biden both went up in counties like when they did these ballot dumps there was never a point in time ever when biden went up but donald trump did not go up there was an accounting error on the front end system that was displaying the numbers at one point for a single county that wasn't like a back end error like accounting error four different times they uploaded the data and donald trump's ballot count went up and joe biden's ballot count went up Biden's count went up by a lot more in a couple of different cases because they were counting counties that leaned heavily Democratic, and they had also counted a whole bunch of absentee ballots, mail-in ballots. There was never any shenaniganery where Biden got 400,000 votes and Donald Trump got zero. That never happened. There were no deviations, quote-unquote, as Mike Lindell is claiming here. Deviations that didn't make sense. 100,000 votes in Michigan mm -hmm. uh, that drop in for Biden. Now, let's talk about that. Now, the 100,000 votes that dropped in for Biden, I mean, Trump got votes in that drop also. Trump and Biden both got ballots counted and added to their total. There's nothing odd about that. What did they tell us? They said, well, those mail-in votes, by golly, you know, those they vote for Democrats, you know, or whatever. Well, those mail-in votes were counted on the morning of the 3rd. Not, the, not in the middle of the night on the 4th. Yeah. He's just making shit up now. This is nonsense. Things, But one of the things that happened was you had all these non-residents that voted in every state. 
every single state had all these non-residents have voted. Well, they, you didn't have that many people go out and commit a crime. That was an anomaly in history that nobody looked at. I looked at it right away going, this has to be done by computers, and they're just using their names. They were. They were using the 2010 census. So those people no longer lived in that state. How could they have possibly used the 2010 census when the people in the 2010 census weren't all registered to vote? They count kids and, you know, adults and all kinds of other people. They count everybody in the census. They're not counting registered voters in the census. This is nonsense from beginning to end. There is no logic or reason to be found here. Or dead people. We all heard about dead people voting. Dead people didn't vote, and nobody sat down and used it and wrote their name. They was pulled from the voter rolls from the 2010 census. The 2010 census wasn't a list of voters. It was a list of people. There's another clip from this telethon, as they call it, that I wanted to watch. Check this one out. Why did the media respond to your documentary in the way they did? Well, they just buried it. Yeah, yeah, the absolute proof. Let me tell you the key part of that. Okay, the media buried his documentary, as they're calling it. They covered it. I remember seeing it on, like, CNN and a couple of other places, I think. They talked about it that, to make fun of it, to mock it, rightfully so, as I'm about to do. It was nonsense. It was bullshit from beginning to end. This guy promised us absolute proof, and he provided nothing. This is worthy of mocking, in my opinion, this, the documentary itself. I don't believe in mocking or insulting people, individuals. I think that's wrong, generally speaking. But, uh... I can certainly mock his stupid documentary. This is all part of that persecution complex. Once again, they have to have that enthusiasm factor. Let me tell you the key part of that. That's probably the only time where I had a little fear and I had to pray, get on my knees and pray to God. Mm. This was 10 days before the impeachment trial. And let me tell you, 10 days before, and remember at the time that was like the end, towards the end of January, mm -hmm. you know, the impeachment trials were uh, uh, Tuesday following like the February 8th, okay? And this was about maybe January 25th or so. I'm sitting there, I go, wow, they're going to impeach him. And I had word that they were going to impeach him. We were not going to be able to show evidence at that trial. They would not have shown it on TV. Uh, okay, so he's saying he couldn't show his evidence at the trial? Why would they? The, the evidence, quote unquote, that he's trying to provide is completely irrelevant to, I, I assume he's talking about his second impeachment, the idea that the election was stolen, the false idea that it was stolen, quote unquote, totally irrelevant to what Donald Trump did on January 6th, inciting a riot, basically, inciting a mob to break into the Capitol. It's completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter if the election had been stolen or not. That's impeachment worthy to inspire a mob to break into the Capitol. So why would they even show that at the impeachment trial? It's irrelevant to what they're doing. 
and they impeach him now. And what were they going to do? Take everyone January 6th in this big fake insurgency or whatever that you're against the government. Right. And guess who was number one on that list to come and get me? Mm. And they what is he even talking about? What, what's he talking about? Let me listen again. And they impeach him now. And what were they going to do? Take everyone January 6th in this big fake insurgency or whatever that you're against the government. Right. And guess who was number one on that list? To come they were going to take all of the people that were like involved in the January 6th stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, they're going to charge them with a crime. They did bust the windows in and trespass on federal property. Of course, they were going to quote-unquote, take them to jail. Was Mike Lindell there? I didn't think he was. I don't know why he would be. Dude's fucking rich. People like Mike Lindell leave that to the peasants, of course. That's peasants' work. Right. And guess who was number one on that list to come and get? Me. Mm. And they were coming, they, I'm going... Why would Mike Lindell be on the list of people to come and get? He wasn't even there, was he? Who was number one on that list to come and get? Me. Mm. And they were coming, they, I'm going, God, they're gonna kill me, you know? I mean, they're gonna put me and hang me, you know, basically is what I... What is this dude smoking? What gave him the false idea that some shadowy they are going to come and kill him. This is obvious, complete nonsense from beginning to end. It's just adding to that persecution complex once again. I'm thinking, and at that moment, he said, you know, I got put on a, a documentary. Just put the evidence out there and make it. My God, this dude is off his rocker. But guess what? That's not the only example of Jim Baker or Mike Lindell claiming that, you know, making claims like this, basically. Uh, June 19th, 2019, there's this clip of Jim Baker on his show saying some interesting shit. Check this out. If we keep losing, you're going to see the leaders of the church and the leaders of the gospel and the political conservative leaders that are powerful, you're going to see them suddenly die. Suddenly die, huh? These people are just going to suddenly die? I mean, he said if we keep losing, quote unquote. So I take that to mean he thinks if they lose the 2020 election, because remember, this is June 2019 when he put this out. This is before the election actually took place. It, long before, in fact. This may have been around the time the primaries were going on. I'm not 100% sure if they were happening yet or not. Anyways, um, dude seems to be convinced that if they lose the election, pastors are suddenly going to die. People on the right are suddenly going to die. Mysteriously. You're going to see them suddenly die. Mm. Suddenly killed. Mm. Suddenly as they were driving. Suddenly as they were in a boat. Suddenly mm. in an airplane. You're going to see one after. God spoke to me this years ago what would happen near the end. And I believe we're in that time. They're so desperate. This is life and death. Yeah. He is completely unhinged from reality. Both Jim Baker and Mike Lindell and basically anybody involved in this show are unhinged from reality at this point. Is there somebody in their studio tapping them on the shoulder saying, guys, that's a little bit out there. Are you sure you want to say that on air?
Is there somebody doing that? I doubt it. They've been saying this shit for years. That, like, the government is gonna come and kill them. What are, what are they thinking? What's going through their heads? Do they really believe this stuff? I have to wonder. I think they do. I think they really do believe this stuff. I think they're true believers. They really think the government is out to get them and, and literally tr gonna try to kill them. I really think that. We have to take them at their word. We have no other choice. Romulus Detroit's, I need these grifters to stop pushing these silver cures. I need that silver to fight off the werewolves and keep parasites away, like lawyers, vampires, and politicians. Try not to... That's funny, man. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we need this silver. Don't waste it on bullshit cures. We gotta kill the vampires. You know, I, I actually took colloidal silver when I was younger. My mom had me convinced that it would work for ear infections and stuff. And my ex-sister-in-law was convinced of it. She was like all into homeopathy. Oh, I'm glad I didn't turn blue, right? Um, you have to take it like for a long fucking time for it to do that, I think. Dude took it for like 10 years before he turned blue. See, Sam Mullinax. Tammy Faye is probably my favorite televangelist. She diverged from the mainstream ev evangelism by supporting queer folks and reaching out to HIV AIDS patients in the 80s. Yeah, I remember that shit at the height of the pandemic. Yep. When all of the other religious extremists were wearing masks to prevent them from catching AIDS, because, of course, it was the gay disease, and they didn't want to catch it from any gay people, so they wore masks. Isn't that funny? They wore masks to prevent AIDS from transmitting from gay people, but they won't wear a fucking mask to save their own lives from COVID. It was never about logic and reason and safety. It was never about that. It has always been about owning the libs, destroying your enemy. Next, we're going to talk about Liberty Council leader Tony Perkins finally accepting climate change, but telling his listeners that the answer is Jesus. Give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media. Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The next story I wanted to talk about is about a guy named Tony Perkins. He is from an organization called the Liberty Council, and I've actually talked about him before. I covered this article on rightwingwatch.org titled, Tony Perkins Offers Tips on Surviving the Rainbow Onslaught During Pride Month. He put out a video about the quote-unquote rainbow onslaught. So I wanted to watch this clip real quick with you guys, and then I figured we'd watch the newest clip from it from him that he just put out about climate change. So check this out. This is about the rainbow onslaught in June. Tonight, surviving the rainbow onslaught. When you can't turn on the television, shop for cereal, or scroll through Facebook without being hit over the head with LGBT pride, how should Christians respond? Why don't you just keep your fucking mouth shut? Who cares? Why do you care so much? Why are your panties in such a fucking wad over this? Seriously. Why do you care if you see a rainbow flag? I, mean, I know some kids' cartoons have, like, LGBT characters. Are you watching kids' cartoons? What are you watching? Thanks to woke 
corporate America and the most radical administration in history. Most radical administration in history, you think? Really? I think that might be a little bit of hyperbole, but you know something? Hyperbole is a way of life for people at Liberty Council and for people like Tony Perkins. There's no escaping the left's forced sexual revolution. What does the Bible say about confronting the culture's re rebellion? Nobody is forcing you to be gay any more than they're forcing you to be straight. I'm really not sure what he's so upset about it. And what does the Bible say about the culture's rebellion? What does the Bible say about confronting the culture's re rebellion? Who gives a shit what the Bible says? The Bible is a thousands-year-old book with thousands of pages written by dozens of authors across thousands of years that contradict each other. You can't find two fucking verses that agree with each other in the thing. Like, practically every single book of the Bible contradicts a verse from another book. It's impossible to not cherry-pick because it has so many contradictory ideas and opinions and beliefs in it. Who gives a shit what the Bible says about this, honestly? Get to the point where celebrating sex and transgenderism became a 30-day event that rivals Christmas. It does not rival Christmas. There's one more section to this. Check this out. Pride is the new religion, and everyone must bow a knee to their sexual gods or face the left's fiery furnace. You guys ever notice how, like, these extremist groups desperately try to paint something as a religion if they don't like it? It has to be a religious movement. It drives me nuts. Why are they using religion as a bludgeon? You would think these people, of all people, would be sensitive to the idea that people have religious liberty and freedoms and can make their own personal choices about religion, right? Why are they using it to hit people over the head? Because if you take part in something that's a religion, you're a heretic. You can't both be Christian and LGBT because they've painted it as a religion. That's the framing they go with. Almost like a neon sign that this is called Pride Month. The very thing that when we read throughout scripture is the downfall of man is pride. It's almost as if, uh, as I prayed uh, a few moments ago about shaking a collective fist in the face of God. You wonder if the spiritual forces behind Pride Month have tipped their hand spiritual forces behind pride month that have tipped their hand this is embarrassing actually this is a little thing called equivocation i don't know if you guys have ever heard of this before but uh this is a logical fallacy called equivocation this is the definition the fallacy of equivocation occurs when a key term or phrase in an argument is used in an ambiguous way with one meaning in one portion of the argument and then another meaning in another portion of the argument. Examples, I have the right to watch the real world, therefore it's right for me to watch the show. Let me frame it in this context of Liberty Council's thing. When he says pride, what he's talking about is the evil thing in the Bible that is specifically condemned, having pride. You know, pride comes before a fall and all that other stuff. That's not what Pride Month is about. Pride Month is about being proud of yourself for being who you are. It's about not hiding who you are. It's about finding others who are like you. There's nothing wrong with that. But he wants to equate it to being prideful 
the thing that the Bible condemns, basically. That is the false equivocation logical fallacy. Pretty clever use of propaganda there, but that's ultimately all it is. So now that we're caught up on who this guy is, I wanted to watch another clip from him that just came out. Let's check this out. It's about climate change. See what he had to say. Remember, up to now, he's been denying that climate change is a real thing. So let's check this out. Man is responsible for the changing climate. Our sin has corrupted the environment. It began in the Garden of Eden with the fall of man. That's new. So he's decided to accept climate change, I guess, but he's blaming it on sin. Okay, I guess that's a step in the right direction? Question mark? I'm not really sure yet. Let's keep listening. And the climate has only gotten worse ever since. But the solution is not bigger government that will take more of your money and more of your freedoms nobody said that fixing climate change included raising taxes or that's not even what we're talking about i would at least like the government to regulate companies put a carbon tax on it or something that doesn't include raising joe the plumber's taxes making 50 60 000 a year to try to fight climate change again this is just a propaganda technique that he's using trying to scare people out of supporting climate change regulations. It's all he's doing. Some ungodly number of companies, like seven companies or something, are responsible for the vast majority of the pollution in the world. I don't remember exactly what the numbers are, so don't quote me on that. Ultimately, what we need is for these companies to be regulated. We need some solution to force them to take this more seriously and be responsible. That's what we need. We don't need higher taxes for Joe the plumber like he's implying we do to fix climate change. He's just trying to use scare tactics. And more of your freedoms. Now, what freedoms would be taken away by climate regulation? I'm, I'm really not sure. And promise more things that they cannot deliver on. Like, what, what is he even talking about? He's just demonizing the government at this point. The solution is going back to the, to the heart of the matter. Number one, Jesus is, is telling us this is going to happen. This is, this is the unfolding of human history. Yes, this is code red. The warning signs are going off all around us. But the solution is not to turn to the government, surrender more of our powers. It is turn, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody asked him to surrender any more of his powers, quote-unquote. Nobody is asking anybody here in America to surrender more of their powers. The government should be asking corporations, or more accurately, telling corporations that they're going to have to be more careful about where, what they're polluting and when and how and where and all that. And we should be trying to plant more trees and things like that throughout the world. But this is just complete propaganda for beginning to end. I think it's fascinating that pastors, evangelicals, are kind of working climate change into their religion now. So for the longest time, they were denying that it was a thing at all. And some Republicans still are denying that it exists at all. 
But for the most part, even the most extreme Republicans have accepted that climate change is real. They're just denying that there's anything we can do about it or that it's caused by us at all or things like that. This guy seems to accept that it really exists and it really is a problem, but he's working it into his religion like a doomsday thing. Like, we need to lean on Jesus because this is like the end of the world as prophesied in the Bible, blah, blah, blah. That's fucking concerning a little bit. But he's not the only one that's working it into his religion now. At this point, climate change is pretty much undeniable by anybody. And other pastors have come along and started talking about it, started working it into their religious beliefs just like they worked Trump into their religious beliefs, into their ideology as pretty much the new messiah. Now they're working climate change in as God's weapon against mankind or something. Check this out. This is Perry Stone. He's a pastor on YouTube. I think he has like 600,000 subscribers or something. He's not just on YouTube. He's a pretty big pastor. Really big deal, actually. And he covered climate change on his program, too. Check it out. In chapter 20, when Christ comes back to earth and sets up his kingdom, he's going to change everything. And there's going to be a thousand years of peace. And so the sons of God, and these are the children of God, these are believers who return with Christ to set up the kingdom for a thousand years. We're going to see a complete change in the earth and that what we call the travail of creation or the travail of the earth will cease when the Messiah returns. So those who criticize believers now for not being, you know, environmentally concerned or whatever, we know how the book ends. We know where this is going. We know how in the end when Messiah comes back, look folks, can I say something to you and say it in love? It's wonderful to do all that we can to help the planet. But at the same time, if you know what the prophecy says, you know what's coming and you know that real peace, real joy and, and, and everything that men want will only happen with the return of the Messiah. Okay, so basically what this guy is saying here is that climate change is happening. He seems to accept it, but he says he's not worried because he knows how the book ends, quote unquote. He knows that it ends with Jesus coming back and killing all the unfaithful people and then remaking the earth in his image. That's fucking concerning, right? Holy shit. These people know climate change is here and it's doing real damage and they don't give a shit because they think Jesus is coming back to save them. They have full-blown worked this into their religion now. That's not the only example of it, though. We've got another example of a pastor working climate change into his religion or at least addressing it in his religion. This one is Shane Vaughn. This is mid-August 2021. Check this out. Climate change is not scientific. It is a religion. Once again, things they don't like have to be a religion. This is how they demonize things they don't like. You can't be a part of another religion because it means you're a heretic. You can't be LGBT because it's a religion. And you're a Christian. You can either be a Christian or LGBT. You can either be a Christian or you can accept the science on climate change because Climate change is a religion, of course. That's what they want you to, to believe. That's how they want to make you feel. You're a heretic if you believe in this stuff. It's a propaganda technique. It is an anti-Christ religion that has taken over the minds of the world. In today's lesson, I'm going to prove to you from God's word that it is a sin to believe in the ideology 
and the religion of climate change. So what I'm picking up from him right now is that it's a sin to believe in climate change. So he used the term believe. The, the word is actually accept. It's a factual statement. Either you accept it or you don't. It's not a belief system. He's saying it's a sin to accept that the climate is changing, I guess. I mean, is that right? Is that what you're picking up from this too? I mean, I'm trying to understand here. Let's keep listening and see how it's a sin to accept the science on climate change. If you believe that mankind is causing climate change, you're deceived by Satan. Okay, so that's different. That's not the same as what he just said. If you accept the science on climate change, then you are part of a satanic religion. That's what he said a minute ago, basically. That's not the same thing. Do you know that the American West is withering as I speak to you right now? God causes these conditions. And listen what he said. God says in this verse, he controls the rain, the droughts, the famines, the floods. Well, do you know why we want to believe that climate change does this? It gives us the power. Okay, it gives us the power? What power do we have if the earth is fucking dying because of climate change? That, that doesn't help us at all. That makes things worse. I don't understand. You scientists from the pits of hell, how dare you take from Yahweh the sovereign right over the weather that he alone claims and he alone controls, you demonic demons from the cesspools of the abyss of hell. Demonic demons from the cesspools of hell. Wow. Obviously, they're working it into their religion now, and that should be kind of concerning to us. The fact that it's now become part of their end times prophecy makes me wonder if they're going to try to accelerate the process to some degree, because we've seen a lot of Christians out there have excitement over the idea of the end coming. There's a silver lining behind every mushroom cloud with people like this, particularly with Jehovah's Witnesses. A silver lining behind every mushroom cloud excitement that the end is here, excitement that God is coming and changing things and saving his little ones and blah, 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 separating the sheep from the goats. Kind of an ironic statement when you realize that, you know, people who talk shit about sheep are usually super religious people. Anyway, the fact that they're not doing anything about climate change and they never have means that we're going to have to work our way out of this problem without them. I already assumed we were going to need to work our way out of this problem without them anyways. I'm not terribly worried about climate change. I think we will be able to dig ourselves out of this, but they aren't helping the situation. Next, we're going to talk about Congressman Lauren Boebert trying desperately to mix religion into government by praying with a pastor that God will unwoke the U.S. generals. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com.
Next article I wanted to talk about is titled GOP Lawmaker to Christian Crowd, Pray to Jesus to Unwoke These Generals. This is actually Lauren Boebert. I've talked about her a couple of times. She's freaked out about wearing masks before. She's freaked out about the vaccine and made all kinds of really, really bizarre, weird claims about all kinds of shit. But this time we're talking about how upset she is that the generals are woke. So let's give this a read. It's written by Hemant Mehta on September 14th on the Friendly Atheist website. Check this out. Republican lawmaker and conspiracy theorist Lauren Boebert is a Christian nationalist who's used her government role to spread the gospel while doing nothing useful for her constituents. 100% agree with that one. That hit a fever pitch over the weekend when she appeared at a Christian conference sponsored by Andrew Womack's Truth and Liberty Coalition. For those of you who've been watching me for a while, you will know Andrew Womack as Pastor Buckaroo. He's wearing a vest once again. He's wearing this exact same vest that he seems to wear every single time I ever talk about this dude. That's why I named him Pastor Buckaroo, though generally I think giving people nicknames is actually not good. I don't usually do it, so I don't really use that name anymore, but that's who this guy is, Pastor Buckaroo. Last time I'm going to use the name, I swear. Anyway. Let's keep reading this article, and then we're going to take a look at this clip. She told the audience at Sheriff's Bible College to pray to God to install only fellow conservative Christians in office because everyone else is the enemy, quote-unquote. Wow, I'm sure as fuck glad that praying doesn't really do anything for anybody, right? An us-versus-them mentality. I've been talking about an us-versus-them mentality for years. This is a point on the bite model, the model we use to determine if something is a cult. It's all about owning the libs. It's all about that good versus evil mentality that these people have. This is Hemant Mehta. Even worse, she said churches shouldn't be taking any orders from government, as if the religious nature of churches makes them immune to things like COVID restrictions that affect all Americans. Not only that, but as if the religious nature of churches makes them immune to bad decisions, right? Let's watch this clip from Lauren Boebert. Came out mid-September 2021. See what she had to say. When we see Biden address the nation and the world and shows more contempt and aggravation and aggression towards unvaccinated Americans than he has terrorists, uh, okay, I'm not even sure what she's talking about. Biden has worked tirelessly to get the U.S. out of Afghanistan, which seems to have ended pretty badly, but it ended, and that's what I care about. Now, as far as how he talks to terrorists, I have no idea how he communicates with them. I assume he doesn't communicate with any terrorist organization specifically directly because there's a federal law about not negotiating with terrorists, I don't think. That being said, the Taliban should be considered a terrorist organization by the U.S., but it is not. I believe it should be, but it is not. Getting a little in the weeds here, though. Let's keep listening. Americans, and he has terrorists. We have a problem. And that's why I have articles of impeachment to impeach Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Okay, it's pronounced Kamala Harris, first of all. Second of all. Impeachment articles aren't going anywhere. The House is controlled by Democrats right now. The House isn't going to impeach Biden. And even if the House passed the impeachment through, which it won't, but even if it did, the Senate would not vote to convict him. It is 
It's actually really hard to remove a president from office. Really hard to do. It's not going anywhere. This is all virtue signaling. She's just trying to show the church what she stands for, which is mindlessly hating her enemy and nothing else. Take another three years of this poor, failed leadership. We are sons and daughters of revolutionaries. They went to battle for a lot less. That's concerning. She is actually using language here that that is inspiring people to take violent action. This is violent rhetoric. And we should all be concerned over that kind of thing. And she knows it. She knows what she's doing. She does it anyways. She takes pride in the fact that she is inspiring violent action from the people listening to her. What are these people thinking, man? They aren't just opposed to violent action. They are embracing it. They want it. They're encouraging it. Jesus fucking Christ. They took a stand for a lot less. And it's time we get involved. I need you involved at every local level. I need you speaking up. I need the world to hear your voice. You know the word of God. And you know that there is power in your words. That the world was framed by words. That the word was framed by words? Is that what she said? That the world was framed by words. The world was framed by words. Okay, I guess what she's saying, she used verbiage that heavily implied she wanted violence a minute ago. Said, we're sons and daughters of revolutionaries and they went to battle for a lot less. That is a clear call for violence. If I have ever heard one. But now she seems to be calling for action, like voting and going to school boards and speaking up and all of that other stuff. All that other shit I'm okay with. That's totally okay with me. You can be a poor fool screaming about not being vaccinated at a school board all you want. I mean, you're making an ass of yourself, but um, you're not being violent. And that's really what I care about the most. I want to prevent political violence at all costs. She obviously doesn't. Uh, on a side note here, as, as monstrous a person as she is, as disgusting as it is to me that she's trying to meld religion and politics seamlessly, she's actually a really good speaker. I, I'm very impressed. She doesn't have a high school education. I think she got a GED, which, who am I to speak? I have a GED also. But for somebody who didn't even finish high school, I am genuinely very impressed with her public speaking abilities. Very good. You have the Lord God Almighty on your side. I need you to use your voice and speak. What if Jesus showed up today and said, from this point forward, everything you say, you will have it. Uh, okay, that was kind of strange. Uh, I'm not really expecting a visit from Jesus, but if he comes, then I think I would say um, whiskey and a fast car and a condo in Midtown Manhattan. That's what I want, yeah. I won't go the bender route from Futurama. I don't even need that stuff. All right, let's listen. Are we going to agree with what the enemy is doing? Are we going to sit back and complain and murmur? Are we going to speak life? into this nation. The church has relinquished too much authority to government. The church has relinquished too much authority to government. This is implying that the church had control of anything in the first place. The way that the U.S. was structured, the way the government was built, 
was to be completely separate from the church. There are clauses through the Constitution and through all of our laws preventing the church from getting too intertwined with the state because the founding fathers and the people who came after them understood that when the church gets intertwined with the state, it ends badly. It ends badly. The only reason she wants the church and the state intertwined like this is because she knows her religion holds all the power. If Islam was the majority religion in this country, she'd be freaking out to keep them separate. We should not be taking orders by the government, from the government. The government needs to be looking at the church and saying, how do we do this effectively? The government has been operating for 250 years, this government specifically, the United States government, I think that the bureaucracies that they have set up are functioning, albeit probably poorly, but they are functioning. The church is not equipped to run a system with 330 million people in it. So I assume she's not talking logistically. I assume she's talking morally. And in that case, uh, I sure as shit hope that the government doesn't start taking cues from the church on that. It already has, honestly. The church and the government have already been heavily intertwined, thanks to Jerry Falwell Sr. and Billy Graham and a bunch of others, and people who followed in their footsteps, like Lauren Boebert. So there was another clip that came out from this same event. We got uh, Andrew Womack, Pastor Andrew Womack on here, and I've talked about him a couple of times before. Let's check this clip out and see what they were doing together on stage. Thank you, Lord, that those men and women that have lost their lives in the name of freedom, the 13 that were just lost in Afghanistan. Uh, suddenly she gives a shit about human life? What happened over the past year and a half when 700,000 people died? She didn't give a shit then. She's been screaming about not getting vaccinated. She's been screaming about not wearing masks and all this other nonsense this whole time. Suddenly she cares about 13 people. What happened to the other 700,000 that died? God, you know exactly what those parents are feeling. Because God, you know what it's like to lose a son. Oh, please. You know what it's like to lose a son. My God, this is such... LARPy bullshit. I feel like that's the, the best term to describe what we're witnessing here. This is really fucking sad, honestly. She is so filled with propaganda. It's like the only thing in her head is propaganda. And she doesn't understand, or she doesn't give a shit how hypocritical she is. She doesn't even see the hypocrisy, it seems like. God, you will be glorified in all 50 state capitals. I plead the blood of Jesus over those state legislatures, over the governors. God, convict their hearts. Okay, so she's saying a prayer here, I guess, and she's assuming that God is going to answer this prayer. I don't know why. God has literally never answered a single prayer ever in history, as far as I can tell. I have no evidence of God ever answering even one single prayer. And if we did have evidence of that, you know, I think that might be enough evidence to convince me that God was real. That's all I need is a little bit of evidence. Barring that, I'm not going to believe it, but I just have to say I'm glad that we don't have evidence that prayer works because her vision of the future and what the U.S. should look like is fucking disturbing to me. God, I plead the blood of Jesus over the United States Capitol building. 
I plead the blood of Jesus over the White House and over the Pentagon. Did she say Pentagog? Yeah, let me listen one more time. Hang on. And over the Pentagon. I think she did. I think she said over the Pentagon. Does she know how it's pronounced? God, the Pentagon. There you go. She corrected herself. She realized she made a little verbal slip. That's okay. She, generally speaking, overall, she is a good speaker. I have to say, she's a good speaker. But that's a little verbal crutch she used to correct her, her language. God, the Pentagon is so important and so vital. And there has been evil that has been allowed to creep in. Unwoke these generals, God. Give them a revelation of what they are truly called to do. God in the White House. Please tell me what the generals of the United States military have done that is quote-unquote woke. I'm, I'm assuming she's going to give us more information, or is she just spouting off propaganda and memes? Is that all she's doing here? She feeding memes to God right now? God in the White House, we need you moving. I've been in there and I've prayed. Holy Spirit, I've welcomed you in there, and I know that you are moving in that place. Is, is the Holy Spirit like a vampire? It can only enter a building if it's invited? I know that your presence is there. I know that there are angels posted. They are on assignment, and they have not been released of that assignment, so I know that they are there working. Okay, this sounds familiar. Hold on. Didn't we hear this from Kat Kerr a little while back? Isn't she like controlling a, a bunch of angels like isn't she like the commander of like a billion angels or something and she ordered a bunch of angels to ensure that donald trump would win the election i seem to remember this what happened with that she ordered a bunch of angels to make sure donald trump won the election these angels are special ops angels that were sent from heaven back in 2016 to be a fight on behalf of america on our president, on his administration, God's plans that he has for this country. And they were there to be sent out again right now. And we all did that. Uh, I think it was towards the end of Friday night that we did that sometime. But it was very powerful to see them. They shoot past us like beams of light. Okay. Um, interesting fan fiction, I have to say. And I find it fascinating that Lauren Boebert Congressman Lauren Boebert agrees with Kat Kerr on this subject. I guess there's a legion of angels. I think Kat Kerr actually said trillions originally, or she sent trillions to save us from something or other. I don't even remember what. So a bunch of angels come in here to help Trump win the election. And I guess they failed at their job on that one, apparently. And now Lauren Boebert is calling those angels to help us with some other nonsense. God, I've been in the House chambers and the Senate chambers, pleading the blood over each and every seat, every row. Oh, God, that's creepy. What did she do to those seats? Senate chambers, pleading the blood over each and every seat. Pleading the blood over each and every seat? How did she do that? What, what does she mean? I don't understand. I hope she didn't, like, rub blood all over it. Where did she even get it? In that building, God, and I have felt your presence in that place, and I know that you are working. Was it like sheep's blood? Did she kill a sheep and wipe its blood all over the seats? What is she even talking about? Seriously, this is the creepiest shit I've ever heard in my fucking life. 
when you listen to what they have to say, like these super religious evangelical Christians, it's real creepy shit. Like, if you didn't grow up with this kind of thing, it gets fucking weird. Try to remove yourself from your upbringing and your mindset when you were growing up, hearing all this shit before, and and seriously, like, think about how insanely creepy this shit really is. Uh, People are talking about, like, killing a lamb and rubbing its blood all over stuff. What the fuck, dude? Really, what the fuck? Anyways, let's keep reading this article by Hammett Mehta. As usual, everything she says is wrong. In Boebert's mind, Democrats who are Christian, 175 members and 35 senators, just don't count. They're not real Christians. They're the enemy. The irony is that the most corrupt, crooked, conspiracy-driven, do-nothing Congress members are Boebert and her right-wing allies. Their Christian faith doesn't pose any conflict with their ability to lie or spur violence. As for the authority bit, religious institutions have far too much leniency right now. With the help of a right-wing judiciary, they've been able to evade many sensible COVID restrictions, allowing the virus to spread further and causing more death and suffering, all in the name of Jesus. By the way, at the end of her speech, Womack asked her to deliver a prayer. It's as ridiculous as you'd expect. It's Boebert claiming she's been pleading the blood over every seat in Congress that there are angels posted on assignment in the White House, and that we need to unwoke these generals in the military. Imagine Rep. Ilhan Omar delivering an Islamic version of this prayer and the ensuing right-wing meltdown, and you can understand why Boebert's theocratic fantasies are so disturbing. Or perhaps what's disturbing is that those prayers went virtually unnoticed over the weekend because we're so used to Christian nationalists merging faith and government like the radicals of other religions whom they despise. Honestly, I would fucking love it if Ilhan Omar did a Muslim prayer just to prove a point. That would be fucking awesome. In fact, she should. She should totally do a Muslim prayer and watch these people melt down. Although, I would wonder if she would keep her seat in Congress after some crazy media event like that. I don't even know how Ilhan Omar has a seat in Congress currently. She's from, like, Minnesota, isn't she? How did Ilhan Omar get a seat in Congress in Minnesota of all places? Maybe her district is particularly blue. I think we've all recognized just how strong the Christian nationalism is in this country, and watching Lauren Boebert literally pray with a pastor about covering seats in Congress in blood, it does not get much crazier than this. Seriously. Step back for a second. I know this is seemingly kind of commonplace. I know we saw this shit growing up all the time. Remove yourself from that context. Turn around and take another look at this and recognize it for how batshit crazy it really is. Thank you guys for coming and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, 
issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.